Would you join with me in praying for God's continued blessing on International Living Streams, the ministry that Brandon just testified of? I told Brandon when I ran into him uh, downstairs, I said, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful that, that you shared the, the recent crisis because there tends to be a perception that, that is God continues to bless and establish, clearly bless and clearly establish International Living Streams in Kenya that, that our prayers can kind of lighten up a little bit, but really just the opposite is true because the more God establishes, the more God blesses them, the more the gospel is going forth and the more they get attacked, so the more we need to be mindful to sustain them and lift them up through our prayers as a church family. So let's join hearts and join prayers together. Father, we thank you for the boldness that you've implanted in the hearts of Brandon and Darnell. To love kids who have been discarded, to love kids who are without families, and to provide for them an oasis and a shelter and security and life. We thank you for the training and the equipping that's going on through the pastors and the leaders in Kenya uh, through International Living Streams. We praise you for the vibrant church that you've established through the General Shepherd Orphanage. We pray in Jesus' name that you would continue to fan and to flame the anointing on international living streams. And we pray that you would continue to guard and protect and guide Brandon and Darnell. We pray for safety. We pray for protection. We pray for anointing. We pray that it would continue to be evident that you are with them and you are guarding them and you are for them and you are loving powerfully through them. Continue to be glorified through the work of International Living Streams. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Amen. I love origin stories. I don't mean uh, origin stories about fake superheroes, you know, Batman's origin story and Spider-Man's origin story. I mean real-life origin stories of real-life heroes. You know, when you, when you see a life that was so well-lived like Billy Graham's, it was an anthem of character and the gospel of Jesus Christ. You think, what fire ignited in him to, to, to drive that life? You know, his origin story actually dates back to uh, the early days in North Carolina. And Billy Graham in his book, Just As I Am, wrote that the only reason he went to this particular revival where he got born again was because he heard that the guy that was, the evangelist that was, that was preaching actually got in a fight with somebody and hit him. And he just wanted to go hear a preacher that, that, that got in a fight. He wanted to hear the fighting preacher preach. And, and also he was hoping there might be some cute girls there. And, and God had so much more in store for him as he walked down the aisle and committed his life to Christ. I love the origin story of Dwight L. Moody, the Billy Graham counterpart of the uh, mid to late 1800s. You know, D.L. Moody went to the membership class for his school, and he actually got kicked out of it. And the summary about D.L. Moody was, we have never before met somebody uh, so unqualified for church membership. And this Sunday school teacher would be so discouraged because he just wasn't getting through to Dale Moody. At that time, Dale Moody was selling shoes. Dale Moody didn't make it to Sunday school, and so something just sort of prompted this Sunday school teacher 
to go to Deal Moody's work, to put his hand on his shoulder. And he said, Deal Moody, have you received Christ as your Lord and Savior? He led him to Christ. He walked away feeling that that, that encounter went pretty much unaffected. But Deal Moody remembers that when that man put his hand on his shoulder, he felt fire go through him and he received Christ and his heart was changed. I love origin stories. I love the origin story of Jim Elliott, who through his college years at Wheaton College longed to know Christ and make him known. A passionate, intelligent, articulate young man who wrote in his 20s in his dire entry, Oh God, deliver me from the dread asbestos of anything that cannot be consumed by your spirit. Let my life be a flame and burn for thee, but flame is transient, often short-lived. Canst thou bear that, thou's my soul, short life? Ah, in me dwells the spirit of the great short-lived. Take my life as an oblation, for I desire not a long life, but a full one like yours, Lord. And blood is only a value as it flows before thine altar. And in his 20s, as he went to minister to the Akas in Ecuador, they killed him. And yet today, many generations later, countless have come to Christ through the Akas, who is now a born-again, spirit-filled tribe to this day. I love the origin story of Bill Hybels, whose dad trained him to take over the family business. He would even take him out of school and say, I would hate for school to get in the way of your education. And he would give him a ticket to go off by himself as a young kid, 13 or 15 years of age, to make arrangements and to to learn how to ski by himself and to somehow make it home by himself, just cultivating a sense of leadership and a sense of independence. And Christ got a hold of Heibel's heart. And as a young man in his 20s, he remembers sliding the keys to the family plane and the family car and the family company business across the table to his dad and they say I can't do this I've got to start a church and he said that was the most painful thing that he's ever done in his life and it broke his dad's heart but he had a higher calling origin stories I love the origin story of Jim Rayburn the founder of Young Life who is a youth pastor at his church and his pastor told Jim Rayburn, I'll take care of the kids inside the church. You just go get the kids outside the church. And through that, the Young Life philosophy was born. But before he began the work of the ministry and getting kids, reaching kids outside the church, he had no idea how to go about it. So there were some elderly ladies in the church, about five ladies, and he asked them to pray for him. And they prayed for him night and day. And through that, the anointing of the Young Life ministry was born. For the next 21 days, I want to dive in with you to the origin story of David. So if you have your Bibles, open it with me to 1 Samuel chapter 16. And over the next 21 days, my prayer is that your heart is changed and David's origin story becomes your origin story. And like David, you experience a transformed heart, an anointing comes upon you, and the trajectory of your life is forever altered for the glory of God and the hope of the world. The details of your origin story and David's origin story might differ. David's giant was named Goliath. Your giant is named something else, but the principles are the same. And so over the next 21 days... I want to encourage you, 
as we walk slowly through David's origin story to read as prayers the Psalms. Today, read five Psalms. Tomorrow, read five Psalms. The day after that, read five Psalms. Just keep walking through it. David wrote most of the Psalms. They're prayers to God. It's worship unto God. Don't just read it like you read a history book. Read it as if if it is what it is. Don't just read it with your mind. Read it with your mind and your heart because it's the word of God and it's living and it's active and it will resuscitate your spirit. It will renew your mind. It will restore your heart. It will fill you with boldness and passion. If there's a promise to believe, stand upon it. If there is an error to avoid, repent of it. If there is an example, follow it. But read the Psalms as your prayers. Read them. Stand upon the promises. Pray them back to God. Believe them. If there's glory to offer unto the Lord, worship Him with it. As Cassidy was exhorting us, I was so grateful that she was spirit-filled, filled with the Holy Spirit, walking with God. Because I needed that, and you needed that. And there's people in your life that need you to be filled with the Holy Spirit, walking with God. And if you approach the Psalms every day with your mind and your heart, and you pray it, you worship it, you believe it, you stand upon it, you claim it, then the Holy Spirit will continue to wash over you. And you'll behold the wonders of Christ. And you'll desire the world less and less and less. And you'll desire Christ more and more and more. So coupled with our time together and you reading the Psalms every day, my prayer is David's origin story will be your origin story. And Christ will receive incredible glory through a heart that is after God's. As David's. Your heart will be after God's own heart. We read that about David. After many mistakes that he made even. Big mistakes. You say, well, I don't think they were as big as mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were the biggest. God said about David in the New Testament, this is a man after my own heart. What does that word after mean? It means two things. One, it's after. I am after this. I am seeking the heart of God. Secondly, it means like it. It's after it. It's like it. And so will your heart be after God, seeking God. And your heart will be like God's, beating in sync with Christ's. So will you accept that challenge, this 21-day challenge? Will you read the Psalms every day as prayers? Now, if you don't get all five Psalms in, that's fine. My favorite time in the Word is when I didn't get my all of my structure in. I, I am not to serve the structure. The structure is to serve my relationship with Christ. So if you only get two sentences in, well, praise God, and that's probably going to be the best time that you had in the Word. But just stand upon it. Pray about it. Say la. That means meditate upon it. Repeat it. Don't just run by it. Go back. Read it again. Pray it again. Think about it. How does that apply to your life? So, David... David was a true soldier and a king. He was a renaissance man, a master at so many things. He was a true war hero and worshiper. He was a leader of leaders 
And he was a leader of ragamuffins. And he was a legend. And he had a heart after God. He was not perfect, but he had a heart after God. He, like us, fell down, but he did not stay down because he placed more confidence in the mercy and love and grace of God than in himself. And so David stood before Goliath. But what equipped him to stand before Goliath that day when everybody else was standing down? David honored his enemy, his mentor who was trying to kill him, Saul. What prepared his heart to love in the face of hostility that day? David's life was an entire anthem of worship, but what developed his heart in that manner? You can go to Jerusalem, the city of David, today, and his personality still permeates old Jerusalem. What fueled his legacy to live on for 3,000 years? I believe he was, I believe largely it was because he was cultivated in his origin story. And so will you and I be cultivated through this origin story as well. The first principle that we glean from David's origin story is that God is looking for a wounded heart. God is looking for a wounded heart who was surrendered to his love. And is that not refreshing? David testified, or I'm sorry, Brandon testified, another worshiper, Brandon testified of the orphanage in Kenya. And I've been to Kenya with David, with Brandon and Darnell. And you know, I've walked into villages with them. And I mean, government uh, authority is, is corrupted. The, the scholastic system is dilapidated. The, the, the water is scarce. Uh, uh, abuse and civil abuse is rampant. And uh, I've walked through these very volatile and unpredictable uh, third world uh, villages with Brandon and Darnell into the home of a family who perhaps the mother, as Brandon testified, passed away in childbirth, and so they, they took that baby in. And I can see a marked difference between an international living stream baby and a, the, the children, the babies and children in the entire area. The international living stream babies. If you, I can pick them out of a crowd of kids. I can pick international living stream kids, even out of a crowd of children who live with their parents, because the international living streams children are brighter. Their countenance is cleaner. There's a joy about them, and there's a healing. You would think that when some of these kids go through the abuse and the loss and the tragedy that they've gone through, that there would be a pretty massive process for them to be counseled in order to experience healing. We'd probably need to get them on some medication here in the States. You want to know what the time frame is for these children to be healed in this orphanage? Overnight. I'm serious. Overnight. I mean, I see the kids come in. And then the next day, there's security, there's peace, there's joy, there's healing, there's wholeness. That's how heavy the presence of God resides in this place. And when I walk with Brandon and Darnell through these villages, 
They are not looking for kids who have it all together. They're not looking for kids who are wealthy with entire family units. Not that there's anything wrong with kids who have it all together, and not that there's anything wrong with kids who live with their entire family unit. It's simply not their objective. They're going after the wounded heart in order to immerse them in the presence and the love of God. And so it is in David's origin story. God is after the wounded heart who is willing to be surrendered to his love and grace. Let's read about it. 1 Samuel chapter 16, and we'll pick up with verse 6. When they came, this is all of David's seven brothers. Where's David? David wasn't allowed to come in for the lineup. Why? Because he was the youngest of eight brothers, and he was overlooked. He was so discarded, he was so disrespected, he was so underappreciated, he was so overlooked that he didn't even get a chance to come in for the lineup when the prophet Samuel was led to Jesse's home in order to anoint one of Jesse's sons to be the next king of Israel. So all of these sons come in, seven, one at a time. Let's read about it. When they came, Samuel the prophet looked at Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. Have you ever just seen somebody and thought, well, God's got to use them. Look how good looking they are. Look how, look how much money they have. Look, look, look at their influence. Look how sharp they are. Look how cool they are. They've got to be a leader. They've got to be an instrument in the hands of God. Even the man of God thought that. But we read in the New Testament, Paul said, listen, Corinthians, don't measure people. Don't evaluate people based upon the flesh. Because Christ's confidence is what matters, not self-confidence. Self-confidence is even counterproductive. It hinders things. It gets in the way of things. The most broken person here is closer to being used by God than the most self-confident person here. Because what God looks for is complete self-confidence. So Eliab, the first of the sons, passed in front of the prophet Samuel, and Samuel thought, look how sharp he is, look how big he is, look how handsome he is, this is surely going to be the next king. Verse 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature, because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Next son. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And the Lord said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And Jesse said, as almost an afterthought... <laughs> Well, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. In other words, well, yeah, I mean, there's David, but that's David. Trust me, you don't, wanna, you don't want David to come in front of you. And Samuel said in response to that, send him in, get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent him and brought him in, and he was ruddy, and he had beautiful eyes, and he was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him. 
for this is the king. This is him. So this is what God is after. God isn't after somebody with a perfect track record. God is after somebody to use greatly for his glory and to set people free and to inspire people's faith. Somebody with a wounded heart, a wounded heart, and they're willing to surrender that woundedness to the love of God. Have you guys ever seen that activity? It's kind of a team-building exercise called trust. It would go something like this. I would have Ed and Harrison and Austin stand right here, and I would turn around, and I would just hold my arms out, and I would just, like a board, just fall back, trusting them to catch me. Well, what happens when we entrust our heart to a parent, and they just let us fall? What happens when we entrust our heart to a spouse, and they just let us fall? What happens when you entrust your heart to an authority figure, and they just let you fall? It creates a woundedness in our heart. And I believe that many people's dysfunction in approaching relationships, many people's dysfunction in approaching God is a result of entrusting their heart to somebody in their life, perhaps a parent who was never there, or a parent who was abusive, or a spouse who was, whose love was conditional or untrustworthy. And the list goes on and on and on. But when we entrust our heart to somebody who is supposed to protect our heart, that creates a woundedness, and it knocks out of alignment our perception of the heart of God towards us. And if we don't realize that our heart has been knocked out of alignment, we continue to approach our relationship with God dysfunctionally. And we think that God is cold, angry, absent, abusive, hateful, temperamental, conditional. And we begin to approach our relationships with everybody in our life dysfunctionally. I believe that David had that wounded heart. His dad didn't even call him in with the seven brothers, and after the seven brothers had passed through, his dad still didn't allow David to come in because he was overlooked, underappreciated, disrespected, and he had a wounded heart. But that is what God is after, the wounded heart. Jesus said in Mark chapter 2, verse 17, He said, those who are well have no need of of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus said, the reason that I came is for the wounded hearts. I'm after the wounded hearts. And if the wounded hearts will simply surrender to my love, then I will heal them and I will raise them up as an anthem for my glory and the hope of the world. I remember I had this dog. She was a miniature American Eskimo. Her name was Princess. I didn't name her, by the way. My sister named her. But Princess would constantly have these litters of puppies. And what she would do, say she had nine litters of puppies, there was always a runt of the litter, the weakest, the smallest. So I would go in there to check on the puppies as a kid and say she had nine puppies. I would count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. 
Hmm. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And I realized the runt was missing. So I would have to look all over the house and I would find the runt of the litter and she would hide the runt somewhere clear on the other side of the house, maybe under a whole bunch of clothes. Or in the backyard, I would go and I would have to look all over for that ninth puppy and I would finally found it somewhere under a deck. I have no idea how she got there, but she carried that runt, left it all by itself to die. So I would go looking for the least of the litter. And when I found the least, I would bring it back to the mama and I would take all the other eight away from the mama and I would put that runt there and then let that runt have all the milk that she wanted. Now in this story, princess represents the world and in this story, I represent the heart of God. The world takes the weakest, the wounded, those who've made mistakes, those who've failed, those who've fallen, those who've been overlooked, those who've been underappreciated and the world cast them away but the heart of God as Jesus said is after the likes of those and when he finds them he gives them special treatment and special attention in order to raise them up for his glory so verse 13 of 1 Samuel chapter 16 then Samuel took the horn of oil And he anointed David in the midst of his brothers, and watch this, the Spirit of the Lord, and I love this word, rushed upon David that day forward. And any time you and I take somebody by the hand and lead them across the line of faith to repent of their sins and trust in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, the Spirit of God rushes into their heart, and he's upon them from that day forward, giving them a new heart, a new nature, a new family, the family of God, a new home in heaven. In fact, yesterday I was studying at a Starbucks, and a man came in, I think he was probably Arab, and he walks in, he says, can I sit beside you? I said, sure, have a seat. And he said, what are you working on? I said, I'm working on a sermon. And he said, oh, so are you one of those holy Christian people? And I said, well, I'm not sure what you mean by that. He said, you know, one of those Christians that thinks they're so holy. And I said, well, I'm a sinner. I failed, I've fallen, and I need a savior. And I place my confidence in Christ. And I believe that because of what he did for me on the cross, he's forgiven me and he's given me his spirit and a new nature. And he went on and and tried to kind of bait me with some political questions. And um, we talked about uh, Christianity and uh, this sort of thing a little bit. I invited him to church. He was like, no way, absolutely not. I'm not into church. I said, I promise you would love our church. It's very spirit-filled. You would experience the presence of God. He said, no, I'm not interested. And that was that. He left and I was just... Ah, I was discouraged. You know, I wanted to lead him to faith in Christ because I knew that if his eyes just opened up for a second to believe that Jesus paid for his sins on the cross and if he just called out to Jesus to save him, then at that moment, it's not a process, it's an event like a flash of lightning. At that moment, the Spirit of Christ would enter his heart, rush into his heart, and give him a new home, a new nature, a new family. And this is what we are, we're fishers, and we're fishers of the souls of men, Jesus said. And we are to take people by the hand and encourage them, as Paul said, I beseech you. That means I beg you. That means if it would help, I would get on my hands and knees and I would shake you by the collar and beg you. If it would help, I would, I would slap you in the face and shake you by the collar and say, wake up. But that might be counterproductive evangelism, so I'm not going to do that. But I'll do whatever it takes. 
for your heart to open up just for a moment to the reality that Jesus loves you so much. He would rather go through the torture of the cross than to live in the glory of heaven. And if you just call on him, you will be saved. And as we read about the Spirit of Christ rushing up on David, think about the friends in your life that you've just been trying to talk some sense into. The family members in your life that you've just been like, wake up, you know? And you've just been trying to talk some sense into them. Or the co-workers in your life that you've just been so frustrated about and you just go home just, you know, you had a bad day because of their abrasiveness. What they need, what the world needs more than anything else is for the Spirit of Christ to rush in upon them. Don't get our purpose confused. We're not living out our purpose when we can convince people to vote the way we vote because we say something pretty clever on a Facebook post. We're not simply trying to get people to vote the way we vote. We're trying to get people to realize, for their eyes to open, that God loves them. He paid for their sins on the cross. And if in a moment they cry out to Jesus, his spirit will rush within them. Their sins are forgiven. They're heaven bound. He'll give them a new heart, and he'll carry them through the valleys and mountains for the rest of their life. And the spirit rushed upon David. And as you and I spend these next 21 days in the Psalms, praying the Psalms back to God, standing upon the promises, Believing his promises for our life. Daring the promises. Then we will slowly but surely, as the 21 days unfold, begin to desire the world less. We will begin to desire Christ more. And God will look at us and say, this is a person after my own heart. And let's also pray, God, let my heart beat with the things that Cause your heart to break. Let me be passionate about the things that you're passionate about. Let me care about the things that you care about. And we'll begin seeing souls, not people, but souls. We'll begin seeing people not like Samuel initially saw David's seven older brothers. Well, they're really handsome. Well, they're really smart. Well, they're really cool. Well, they've got a really good job. But we'll begin seeing hearts, and we'll begin seeing souls, and we'll begin desiring eternal life for them will begin desiring a restored relationship with Christ for believers who are living like prodigals and then on September the 23rd weekend I want to encourage everybody and I want to challenge you to show up with three friends on your arm who need Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior there's people in your life. We simply have to open our eyes to the people in our peripheral vision. Show up with three friends who need Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And we'll all be praying and we'll all be fasting going into that. We'll continue to talk over the next 21 days about a designated time for our church family to fast together, a 10-day fast. And so we'll begin fasting and praying that the felt presence of the Holy Spirit is experienced by even the most hardened of hearts and wayward of prodigals. And their hearts will melt and their eyes will be opened 
to the love of Christ for them. And when they call out to Jesus to save them, the Holy Spirit will rush into their heart. That's my challenge to you. Would you accept that challenge? Can we join together? There is incredible power in unity. When the people of God come together to worship God, there's the felt presence of the Holy Spirit. That's why God writes in Psalm 133 that when the brothers come together in unity, oh, there my presence is. And there the joy of the Lord is. That's why the psalmist writes in Psalm 102, God will receive glory, and those appointed to death will be loosed. When? When my people come together to praise me. There is incredible evangelistic, that's people coming to Christ. There is incredible evangelistic momentum when it's coupled with unity and with worship. So this is the game plan over the next 21 days. But for the next 21 days, we're in the Psalms every day, reading it, praying it, standing upon it, believing it. And we're praying to be filled and overflowing with the Holy Spirit. And over the next 21 days, there's going to be a designated time that we fast together as a church family. And then on September the 23rd, we are showing up with somebody or two or three who need Christ, who need the forgiveness and the eternal life that only Christ can offer, who need the new nature that only the Spirit can infuse into them. Because what our wayward friends, what our hard-hearted friends need, what our prodigals need more than anything else is a new nature, the heart of Christ. And the moment you received Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit flooded your soul, guess what? At that moment, you have a new father, Father God. And no matter what wounds your heart has experienced over the years that have knocked your alignment out of perception and has knocked your approach to relationships out of alignment, when the Holy Spirit enters your heart, you have a new Father, and your Father in heaven trumps and overrides all of the wounds that your heart has experienced throughout the course of your life. Which is why one of the most revolutionary insights that Jesus gave us about Father God. He said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, And when you pray, pray like this, Our Father who art in heaven. And those words have become so familiar that it's lost its power, so let's dust off some of the familiarity so we can be acquainted with the power of that phrase. Our Father, when you pray, you're praying to Father God. And this is one of the greatest miracles of salvation. You go from enmity, that means an enemy of God, to being in the family of God. Not All of the people in this world, all of the people in this world are not God's children. All of the people in this world are God's creation. But it's only those who've called out to Christ, who've been infused with the Spirit of Christ, who've been reconciled into the family of God, who can now pray, our Father. And if we break that down, we see that that actually means our Abba. Abba. 
Isn't that a beautiful word? Abba. Abba. How many of you know what that means? One of my favorite parts of being in Israel was hearing kids run through a park after their dad saying, Abba, Abba, Abba. It was beautiful. Sociologists tell us that here in the States, the first word that your average American male speaks is dada, dada, daddy. And in first century Palestine and even today, the first word that your average male learns to speak is Abba, Abba, which means dada, daddy. Jesus said, when you pray, you can pray Abba, daddy, with the same ease, the same familiarity, the same easiness, the same trust that a one-year-old cries out to their daddy for their daddy to pick them up. And when we pray our Abba, Daddy, we are praying to a God who loves us with an everlasting love, and he proved it because he paid for our sins on the cross. He said, this is how much I love you. I'm willing to pay, pay for your sins, to buy you out of bondage with my own blood so that I can hear you call me Abba. What are the implications of Abba? Let's look in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and let's start with verse 15 and 16. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the moment you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. If my new Arab friend I met yesterday called out to Christ as his Lord and Savior, at that moment he would have received this new nature, the spirit, right then. You received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Is this not beautiful? The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God's and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. And that will make more sense next week. So what does this mean now that Abba is our Father because the Spirit is in our heart? It doesn't mean that, it means that we don't have to relate to God with fear, with timidity, afraid that He's ticked off at us. If I could just read something uh, out of my, my book very quickly about the love of God. The more we know of God's love, the more we realize there is to know the more we explore God's love, the more we discover there is to explore. The more we experience God's love, the more we are amazed at how indescribable, inexhaustible, and incomprehensible is the love of God. The more we search out the limits of God's love, the more we find there are none. God's love is infinite and expanding faster than the speed of light. Even though our finite minds cannot grasp an infinite love, our hearts can. Which is why Paul prayed that you may have strength to comprehend what all this, with all the saints, the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Our, our minds can't grasp this love, but our hearts can rest in it, can be healed in it, it can rejoice in it. So forget about human reward systems. Love that divorces, love that abandons, love that envies, love that holds grudges, love that burns out, or love that fades away. Rather than trying to wrap your mind around an infinite God, allow his, this infinite God to wrap his love around you. God's thoughts of you exceed the grains of sand on the beaches of all the earth, Scripture tells us. 
His love for you is greater than the cosmos, Scripture tells us. Yet even these metaphors are only starting points, missing the mark drastically. Perhaps the most mind-boggling reality of God's love is that the one through whom all things were made, the one for whom all things have been created, the one who holds all things together, reduced himself from beyond the eternal cosmos to a mote of dust suspended in a beam of light, what we call this pale blue dot. The inhabitants of this dot did not recognize him. Instead, they rejected him, killed him. But this is why he came, so that we would know the distance he is willing to travel toward us, the price he is willing to pay for us, the sin he is willing to forgive of us, the goodness and mercy he is willing to extend to us, and the relationship he is willing to have with us. The cosmic arena is endless in scope and expanding faster than the speed of light, as is the love of God. So we can say in utter confidence, we have not strayed beyond the reach of His love. We have not fallen beyond the depth of His grace. His love is intimate, constant, present, radiant, infinite. Now... Let's go back to Romans in chapter 8 and verse 15. Actually, verse 26. And let's just read a little bit more about this love. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit intercedes with groanings too deep for words. Have you ever not wanted to pray because you thought, oh, it's not going to be articulate or poetic or as powerful as somebody else around me? One time, I was in India with Brandon and Darnell, and I was speaking at this man's church, Pastor Stephen up north a little bit and um, from, from Tamil and he was translating my sermon and he had this beautiful booming Martin Luther King Jr. kind of voice and so I would say something like hi my name's Shane I'm glad to be here and he would interpret it with this rhythmic ascending crescendo and everybody clapped and I thought I don't think he's saying what I'm saying <laughs> And that's the way my whole sermon went. I think it was probably the best sermon I've ever preached in my life. But we just read that this is what the Spirit of God does when we pray. We pray, the Spirit translates it with groanings too deep for words. This is one of the beautiful things about having the Spirit of Christ and being able to cry, Abba, the Holy Spirit translates our words with groanings that are so deep. And they go up in groanings by the Holy Spirit and we see in Revelation as a sweet aroma in the throne room of God and they come down we see with power and authority authority and lightning and thunder what goes up will come down and it might go up we feel weak but it comes down with great power and authority and we go on to read in um, Verse 27, and he who searches the heart knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And as we cry out help, then God is working all things together for the good as we just read in Romans 8, 28. And then let's go on to look at this father love of God for us as we're now in the family of God and we are invited to simply cry out to Christ night and day. Verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? It doesn't mean people won't come against us. They can try. They've sure tried, but they won't triumph. Because if God is with us, who can be against us? Verse 33, he who did not spare his own 
son, but gave him else, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? This is an argument from the lesser to the greater. If God treated us so lovingly when we were in our sins to send his only son to pay for our sins on the cross, how will he now not much more treat us overwhelmingly lovingly when we just walk in fellowship with our Abba? Verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it who condemns? Christ Jesus, the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or in sword? Let's look at verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, not even you. Are you a something in this world? Yeah, so not even you can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the love of God. Now, would you guys stand with me, please? The origin story of David. Our first takeaway in our 21-day study of David's origin is that God is after a wounded heart who will surrender to his love. Is that not refreshing? He's not after a seminary student, nothing wrong with seminary. He's not after a perfect track record, nothing wrong with perfect track records, although there are none. He's after a wounded heart who's willing to surrender to his love, mercy, and grace. That's it. Brandon and Darnell were after orphans. God is after a wounded heart. As a kid, I was always after that runt of the litter. God is after wounded hearts. Wounded hearts. Do you have a wounded heart? Because you've entrusted it to somebody and they dropped it. And it's created a wound. And it's affected the way you approach God. It's affected the way you have approached people. I can spot a wounded heart out. out I, I believe the Lord's given me a gift of discernment. And I can spot a wounded heart out like that. You know that saying, hurting people hurt people? You know they're ready to fight? Like, well, I didn't mean anything by it. I just said, I like the color you're wearing. It's a nice, nice color. Like, what do you mean you like the color shirt I'm wearing? They're a wounded heart. I'm not offended by that. I realize they've entrusted their heart to somebody time and time again, and they keep getting dropped, and they're wounded. Maybe you've got a wounded heart. The good news is God is after wounded hearts. And he wants to immerse you in the spirit of God and the power of God and the love of God. So I would like to ask Iris and Karen and Ed, if you guys would come on up and just line out across the front here. Austin, if you would please line out across the front. If you would like somebody to pray for you, let, let these guys pray for you. Shanda, if you would please come over here. Let these guys pray over you. Maybe you just want to come up to the altar and and just say, God, forgive me for something. Maybe, maybe you just need to say, I entrust my heart to you. My heart's so wounded, I realize I'm not even entrusting it to your love. And this is, I think, the takeaway. 
Is your heart so wounded you're not even entrusting it to his love? Entrust it to him. God will never fail you. He'll never let you down. He's with you. He's for you. He'll never forsake you. Entrust your heart to God's love. And one of the ways you entrust your heart to God's love, listen, you have to forgive somebody who's wounded you. You've got to let them off the hook. Because as long as you're holding on to that bitterness, you're not really entrusting your heart to God's love. As the saying goes, when you forgive somebody, you set a prisoner free to realize you were the prisoner. And you just need to let them off the hook. How can you dare let them off the hook? Because as as you've received grace, you extend grace. And you entrust them to the true judge. And then you stop carrying that mantle of burden you were never meant to carry, judge and juror. That's God, not you. Entrust your heart to Father God's love. He wants to heal you. He wants to bless you. He wants to restore you. He wants to make all things work together for you. He wants to immerse you with the Spirit. So maybe you just need to unpack some heavy burdens and let somebody off the hook. Maybe you just want somebody to pray over you that you'd be filled with the Holy Spirit. I ask you to accept me on this challenge. 21 days of being in the Psalms, praying out to be anointed, and then looking for somebody to bring with you on September 23rd to be born again. So with that, if you would bow your heads, how many of you would raise your hand and say, you know what, I think my heart's wounded. I would just like to pray for you. Raise your hand. Listen, when we surrender our heart to God's love, listen, listen, He begins changing our hearts so we begin approaching him correctly and we begin approaching relationships correctly in alignment with his scripture and the reason that we all get knocked out of alignment is because of that wounded heart it's been wounded by a father it's been wounded by a spouse it's been wounded by an authority figure it's been wounded by a loved one and we just need to surrender that to the love of god would you let somebody here pray healing over you brandon i'd appreciate it if you would come up here as well just to pray over people just let somebody pray over you how many of you would say, I'll take you, on, take you up on your 21-day challenge to be in the Psalms every day, praying to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And I'll invite somebody on September 23rd to be born again, to hear the gospel. Raise your hand high. Okay, so the altars are open. Just deal with the Lord as the Holy Spirit leads you. Let's respond.